world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task, got it covered like a mask. Guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I hail from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. Ever heard the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? I used to always wonder, who said it? You know, it means that when you're in a place unfamiliar to you, you should adopt the customs of the people of that place. Makes sense. You want to explore and do something different. But I guess we get conditioned to a way of thinking in America. We'll get to that in a second. But who started this? I know the Roman Empire was going through some changes in the 4th century AD. Ancient history doesn't really mean that much to you, but there's a, I guess the Bishop of Milan said something to this effect. His name was St. Ambrose, sent this to St. Augustine. They're trying to figure out, you know, hey, I, you know, when I'm here, I don't fast, but they fast here on Saturdays on the Sabbath day. Cool. Around 1599, someone else used it in a play. I think his name is Henry Porter. And then shortly after that, the person most widely credited with making the phrase famous, even though he didn't use it, actually, was Robert Burton. In his book, The Anatomy of Melancholy, states, Like Mercury, the planet are good with the good, bad with the bad. When they are in Rome, they do there as they see done. Puritans with Puritans, Papists with Papists. Cool. What does that mean to the ugly American? You know, we get this reputation around the world for wanting to do what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it, because we are Americans. We have been conditioned by the idea of American exceptionalism and propaganda, 100%. No matter what you look like, even those of us who may or may not always feel like we are actually Americans, based on the way that the people who run America treat other people outside of that core group. It happens. It's the reality of life. Deal with it. And the world's eyes are focused on one place, Doha, Qatar, or Qatar, depending upon who you're speaking to. So you know how we do it, tomato, tomato. And rest in power shouts should go out to veteran sports reporter Grant Wall, who died there during the World Cup, Copa Mundial, as it is. Reporting on the cup, he announced he was sick a couple of days ago, was suffering from bronchitis. His brother believes otherwise. His brother believes that because he went to a country that probably won't be utilizing the stadiums where they did the World Cup this year, the billions of dollars that were spent, they won't be used after this thing is over. And so what was it worth? Walt's brother believes that he was murdered or killed or poisoned or something because one of the first days he documented his journey in Qatar, he's wearing a rainbow shirt, LGBTQ, talking about soccer. They would not let him into the stadium. In a country that is an Islamic state that does not consider orientation outside of the biblical sense to be lawful, targeted him right away. It's alleged that he had his shirt ripped, he was forcefully removed from the stadium, ejected from the area. 
And I suppose he came back and did some other things, but he started feeling sick. Before this, the junior conspiracy theorists out there can try to connect dots, and maybe there was some influence, but you never know. It makes me question it. But again, he went there knowing full well the human rights questions that people had of the country before the World Cup, rights of women, rights of people of different orientation, and still he wore the shirt, knowing full well what the rules were. Some people say he suffered as a result. Some people say, which is the circumstance of his health. I got it. And what is the circumstance of your good basketball health? And some news on life, too. Is the open run with Will Strickland? That would be me. The open run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are Press.net. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland, and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found including, and especially at this point, at anchor.fm. Grant Wall's brother believes that the reporter was somehow helped to his death by agents of the state, someone who did not like that he disrespected their soil in that way. And we rally around the notion, not so much from a conspiracy standpoint, but Americans do this sometimes, I believe. We don't always agree on everything, but some things we agree on, especially when the enemy... I just used a bunch of air quotes. Shout out to my man, Dwayne Watson. Doesn't look like us. When we go around the world, it's amazing to, to see, and I had this great conversation this past weekend that I never really had before. And I think I've had a bunch of different kinds of conversations. This one stood out to me. The English language as a business card. Because of the way we've been conditioned, anywhere you go in the world, you almost expect people to speak English. It's real. In order to do business in this world, because the dollar is the king, the U.S. dollar is king, even though it's backed by nothing, the idea of the facade that it's greater than everything else means that in order to deal in this currency, you must also deal in the currency of communication, which is English. Imagine if China was the greatest nation on the planet, so-called greatest nation on the planet, and ruled over everything. Would we have to learn Mandarin or Cantonese? Because that was a conversation. I'm like, there are probably more people who speak Mandarin and Cantonese than there are people who speak English somehow. We were thinking about this in this conversation and wondering if that were true. But we do know that when English-speaking people go to the Orient, as they called it back in the day, to Asia, in particular, a place like China, they have a translator. They maybe know a couple of phrases to greet people in China in whatever language. But English is key. Imagine, because of the way we've been conditioned, that people from China, when they have to come to the United States, they have to know English. They have to know English in order to get by. I've heard people say to non-English speakers in America, Hey man, speak American! Whatever the fuck that means. It sounds quite gangster. It's odd. I don't want to say odd. I mean, my students had a paper this past week on what is gangster. And automatically, and maybe it was because, you know, I, I don't want to denigrate them. I actually do write it as what is gangster with an A in their assignment. That no one questioned the difference between gangster with E-R and gangster with A at the end of it. Made me think and wonder if they even thought about the word N-I-G-G-A and the one with the hard E-R. And why there is a difference either way. They didn't. But this is about opening eyes and making people more aware. And we want to bring at least an awareness to the idea of how we move 
and how we add up things to live out loud no matter where we are. Life's calculus. What is gangster in the fallacy of black-on-black crime? There is no such thing as black-on-black crime. There's crime. Have you ever heard the term white-on-white crime? Ask yourself why. It doesn't add up. But again, this is life's calculus we've been talking about here. The papers are great. I love reading them if you want to. Hit me up on my social media accounts to learn a little bit more about them. Or maybe even audit the class that I teach, UNITY, why hip-hop culture is the world's culture. You know what to do. I can be found in these rough interweb streets, as you already know. What's really rough in these streets is the incident between the University of New Mexico and New Mexico State University basketball players, where one player was shot and he actually murdered or killed someone in self-defense. But it was a setup, as what we're finding out, and I think we reported on this last week, that this young man who was taken to this dorm by three of his other teammates who sat in a car and saw the whole thing go down. They're there in the getaway car. The young lady who called this young man over to the dorm had been involved in a fight the week before between the young man who shot in self-defense and was shot himself. He's now suspended. I'm not going to give his name. I don't think it's right at this point. I know that a lot of networks are doing that. I'm not going to do that. Because it's assuming guilt. And that's where the idea of black-on-black crime starts to come in. Like, eh, that's what they do anyway. Messed up, but that is America. So not all the facts are out there, but what we do know is that after the shooting, his teammates drove him off, and he went back to the team bus as the game was canceled. And the cops were looking to investigate. Coach is like, nah, we're out. Gets them all on the bus, they go back to Las Cruces where New Mexico State University is, at a rest stop, the state police stopped them. They checked the bus, come to find out that the gun and some other effects that the young man had that were put in the trunk of the getaway car, and it's even messed up that I'm calling it the getaway car, but they took the guy who was shot, put him in the car, and they drove off. Did they go to the hospital? Pretty sure they did. I'm sure they called their coaches first. But again, as much as I'm sure, it's still speculation. Because the coach had to make the decision. And when the state police got on the bus, they found a laptop that the young man had in one of the assistant coach's bags and the other effects in another coach's bag. And they found the gun wrapped up in a towel somewhere else altogether. So it's a cover up by the coach. He's obstructing justice. As he said, he's protecting his players and and his family who could face retaliation in Albuquerque where this crime happened. But why is the player suspended, not the coach? The idea that somehow the player is guilty of something, and he is, I guess he went there, all he had a weapon, but he had a feeling about something, and the guys in the car also knew that. And the coach is like, I don't want to lose my job, maybe. But I believe he will lose his job. But why is the player suspended? Why is the coach saying, I don't know if he'll ever play another game for me again? What is he saying? Is he stepping out there too fast to protect himself? Perhaps. And it's scary. Is it because they're in the wild, wild west that you do what they do in the wild, wild west? You come to the showdown with a gun? When in Rome, I suppose. And as the idea of reporting news changes and evolves every day because people don't believe what's on the major news networks, and there's an air of authenticity and things like podcasts and broadcast, where you see anonymous nobodies like myself or people like Cameron Giles, the rapper Cameron, 
Out in these streets, reporting on his own network, it is what it is, news, about former NBA Sixth Man of the Year, Ben Gordon, who has been in the news quite a lot lately, with incidents with his son allegedly spacking and punching his son in the face at LaGuardia Airport, jumping on some security guards at McDonald's in Chicago, and now being taken to Harlem Hospital for allegedly poking people and trying to stab people with sewing needles. He's noted for years his mental health was getting at him, especially when he was out of the league, and he needed help. He even wrote a thing in the Players' Tribune years and years ago. But if you look back at his history, and this is interesting in the TYT clip that I saw, I didn't realize how much Ben Gordon was really crying out for help and how many times he had been in incidents or whatever the case might be. You say, oh, he's a troubled guy. He's, he's troubled. No, 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 we have to pay attention because mental health is a real thing out here. And as athletes especially at the professional level where you're idolized for your feats on the court. You're basically immortal to a lot of people, but you're human. And I think the human element gets taken out of that. But he's definitely hurting. And I want somebody to give him some help. And I'm glad the camera went out and told the story the way he wanted to tell it. He was on the scene. I'm like, damn, that's deep. And people were questioning the mental health of another NBA guard. This one, who I like to call World B Flat, Kyrie Andrew Irving who was let go by Phil Knight and Nike as a commercial endorser of their brand and their product. And shortly after that, it was announced by Irving and his stepmother, who was his agent as well, that it was a mutual decision. Mm, I doubt that, but hey, you got to spin it the way it spins, right? Immediately after that, in his first game after the announcement, Irving is wearing a pair of sneakers. They are Nike. They're his brand. I think it's the Sevens. And they're covered up, the, the logo is covered up with tape. You can tell. still. You can see the Nike swoosh through the tape. And on the side of the tape, it goes, I'm free. Thank God I'm free. The whole martyrdom thing falls on deaf ears over here. My guy, you signed the contract. You want to be at Nike. You went through eight iterations of sneakers with them. You were in bondage. It's such a misappropriation of the idea that somehow you're free. Free of what, though? Free to be a free agent? Okay. You actually were wearing the eights in the games, and I love the way they look, and I wish someone had some so I can get them. I don't care if they're bootleg or not. No, I do care. Maybe I don't. That's for another day. And as they were talking about he's free from Nike right now, to step in his place, they announced shortly after that that they're developing a player edition for Demetrius Jamel Morant. You might know him better as John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies, the most athletic and electrifying player in the league right now. Zion might be mad at that, but hey, it is what it is. So are those going to be leftovers and hand-me-downs from Kyrie? Because, I mean, they already made the shoes. You never know. They could refurbish them a, a little bit. I'd like to see it. But let's get to the reason why we're here today, is the exchange. As after 294 days in captivity, as alleged by the U.S. government, wrongfully detained by the Russian government, Phoenix Mercury Center, Brittany Griner, is back on U.S. soil in San Antonio eating lots of barbecue, bonding with the people on the airplane who brought her home. And I could imagine that. She's like, hey, look, I've been listening to people talk to me in Russian for the whole time. I was over there. I didn't understand anything. I need to talk to someone. She didn't even learn how to communicate. She'd been playing in Russia for years. I guess she didn't really learn to communicate beyond the basic needs. And it was frowned upon when she was released by a lot of people. It was not unanimous that this American was coming home because maybe she wasn't seen as the American. Maybe she was just seen as a pawn in the game. And the Russians saw her as that for sure. They are losing a war. Some people were beating you with pots and pans from the Ukraine. 
I know I'm exaggerating with pots and pans, but Russia is the superpower, allegedly, and they're not winning the war easily. Let's pivot. And she was the perfect pivot. These canisters of vape oil that had cannabis in them, she alleged that they were prescriptions to calm her and to quiet the pain in her head. At least that's what her lawyers alleged. The Russian government didn't care because they had the trifecta for a perfect political pawn between themselves and the United States to be able to get what they wanted. She's black, she's queer, and she's a woman. High visibility woman. Some people might question the high visibility part because they say, well, no one watches the WNBA, but the world watched when they stopped her and detained her for something that, on average, from my understanding, is a charge that warranted, on average, a 15-day incarceration. One five. One five. One, two, three, four, fifth. Yeah. 294 days. And the world cheered. At least a lot of the basketball world cheered. WNBA, the NBA... Even Brittany's old college coach, Ken Mulkey, who had no words for her when she was first detained, but now she wants to join the chorus. Nobody wants to hear bars from Ken Mulkey. She's a miserable person. She really is. But I guess, as they say, a hand is the hand, whether clean or dirty. So I guess we got to take that one from Ken Mulkey, too. And on the opposite side of that, like I said, not everybody was happy. Some people are like, well, she broke the law. Okay, my dude. So you'll drive 45 in a 25-mile-an-hour school zone. I'm talking about breaking the law, and I know they're not the same thing. She had some oil in a country that said, hey, you can't have this, but they still have a law for it. And I just said 15 days, 294 days, too much. They should have left her over there. Relax. But Micah Parsons, the all-everything of the Dallas Cowboys on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, he's a defensive end, he's a linebacker. He's one of the best players in the game, period. So, nah, nah, man. They left the Marine over there, Paul Whelan. We'll talk about Paul in a second. And people are like, wait a minute. They're missing the point. When you get out here on these rough interweb streets, especially on black Twitter, they started dragging Micah Parsons. It was too late. Once he jumped in that pool, they started calling him Pass Rush Limbaugh, Tackle Carlson, Micah Parsons. I was dying. The creativity, top shelf. And everybody says, oh, 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 what about Paul Whelan? Paul Whelan's family came on television and said, hey, we're happy that Brittany Griner is back. Our brother's situation, Paul's situation over there, is vastly different. It's not the same. You're trying to make a linear equation where there is none. And they wanted them to co-sign that Brittany Griner should have been left over there, or if they brought Brittany Griner back, that Paul Whelan should have been back. They didn't do it. They understood the difference. I mean, Paul Whelan was detained on the watch of one Donald J. Trump, whose organization is guilty of tax fraud. Is he going to jail soon? There won't be an exchange for him. But they're like, oh, what a disaster, Joe Biden. You let someone who hates our country because she kneeled in regard to police brutality. She hates the country. But you wouldn't bring back a patriot, a former Marine, this happened on your watch. Why did you bring him back? Oh, I forgot you were too busy negotiating a deal with terrorists to free 5,000 Taliban fighters. I do my best to stay away from what about isms, the convenience of them. But the reality is this. You exchange for a very bad man, the merchant of death, the world's biggest arms dealer, about the weapons he was selling to use against American citizens. All weapons are used against American citizens, clearly especially when we have a point to prove. So where are we now? 
Now that Brittany Griner's home now, I remember seeing, courtesy of my man D. Wells, he posted a picture of Tupac's passport. He got that passport December 8th, 1995, eight months before he died. I wonder if he ever traveled anywhere internationally with that passport. Perhaps he never got the chance. Do you believe that Brittany Griner, who's finally home, is even thinking about traveling outside the United States anymore? The travel trauma she must be suffering, outside of the other traumas that she must be suffering. And they're examining her right now and going through things to make sure she's okay mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. In San Antonio, where she's landed and her family's there with her. I guess one day that all of this will add up. So come back for more on the other side of this with our very special guest on The Open Run with Will Strickland. Back, giving you more of what you asked for. It's The Open Run with Will Strickland. In conversation with my brother, it's been too long, the legendary Steve Rifkin. What's going on, man? What's going on, bro? I'm glad that you posted that something a few months ago. Or is it a month ago? Yeah, yeah um, it was a cassette of so, yeah. a pre-released Wu-Tang cassette, and we're going to get into that for sure. But welcome to the podcast, man. It, like I said, it's been way too long, and I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to see you're in good health. It looks like you just got out of a workout. I just finished my workout. No doubt. It's a beautiful thing, man, and we're definitely going to talk about that and making sure we take care of ourselves, you know, leading this life and working in this industry, it's tough sometimes, you know, and we get caught up in certain things, but then something grounds us, no matter what that is. It could be children. It could be life itself says, hey, you got to sit down a little bit. And we're definitely going to get into that. But let's get into some life, man. Like, as I do with each and every one of my guests who comes to the podcast, if you would, please, sir, run your resume because it is extensive. And and, and I'm going to get to where... We meet after that, but I'd love to know more about your background. Let the people know who might not know everything about Steve Rifkin. So when you're saying the resume, like the lad SRC or even before that? you If you want to start before that, because I think that, you know what? I think foundationally, your origin story with your dad and spring and everything else means a lot to what you did with Loud and SRC. So let's go there. Uh, I mean, my family had a company called, uh, I mean, Spring Records, right? It had James Brown, Fatback Band, Joe Simon, and Millie Jackson. Everybody knows who James Brown is. The Fatback Band put out the first hip hop record commercially. 1978. Yeah. Was it 78 or 79? 78. Yeah. King Tim III, personality jock. Yep. That gave Russell his pretty much his first record deal with Jimmy Spicer. The record was called Dollar Bill, y'all. And that came right. full circle when we put out Cream. Right. My uncle fucking charged me for uh, the sample. <laughs> you said your uncle did? Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is business. You said this is business, <laughs> yeah. right? This is nothing personal. Right? So you had Spring, you had all these artists who are really, a lot of them very foundational to what we yeah. know now as the rap music industry and, and part of hip hop culture lore. You went from there, your dad owned that label. Yep. And then um, I want to say 84, 85, I started managing New Edition and I headed out west. Managing and, New Edition. Yeah, with a guy named Hiram Hicks and my father. Right. We were young, so we needed them, you know, for some muscle. <laughs> so so um, I moved out to L.A., made the Yenny Heartbreak album, and I've been in L.A. ever since. Mm. See, I'm trying to remember where it is that we first met. Was it in L.A.? Did I come out no, to the office there, I, or did we meet in New York? No, we met, I, we met, I want to say, in the Gavin Convention. 
I remember when I, I threw a basketball tournament, a three on three. Okay. And okay. OJ, actually, OJ won. Okay. No. Odewello? Yeah, Coach Hillen won. What, oh, was that? Was that? So that was the one, Blessed Dead, Harry O. That was the last one. I remember we played Harry O and he fell on me. No, Bobito, did Bobito play in that one or is it a different one? No, Bobito played it. This wasn't a five on five. This was three on three. Okay. I'm trying to remember that one. Where where was it? This was in San Francisco, obviously. Back then, yeah, this, all the this, Gavin this, seminars this, were held there. Before I think this was even before I had Will. I think this was like 92, 93. Mm. Wow, okay. So we met at that basketball well, tournament. Well, you're well, you're well, a lefty. I, yeah. People think I hate left-handed basketball players because I talked about the Knicks having three left-handed starters in their lineup, and I can't remember a lineup that had three left-handed starters ever. Well, so what, they got Brunson, Rand, uh, Randall, and um, the kid from Duke. Barrett, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, name. can you name another one that had three left-handed starters in their lineup? Chris Mullin, but in Golden State. Who today was it? Was- you could say, if you want to say Chris Scatling on the times he started, maybe. But I'm talking about full-time starters no. on a squad. I've never – I don't recall one. But we met the Gavin. Shouts out to Tambista and Shaka who, and Kelly Wu. Wait, um, and Brian Sampson? Brian Sampson, of course, the foundation. You think about that back there in the, the Western St. Francis Hotel yeah. in San Francisco. A lot of stuff went on in that hotel, man. Yeah, well, like, you, really, you really got some fucking memory. 100%. That's what I was trying to tell you the other day. Like It was stuff that I remember vividly. You know, I tell the story sometimes about Eric Skinner and we were driving around San Francisco and I didn't realize until I got in the car with Eric that one, he didn't have a license. I don't know how Jeff Finster or somebody got him a a car at the airport and that he couldn't drive. So we're flying across these hills, listening to this demo tape of this kid from Queens by the name of Nasir Bean Oladara Jones and losing our minds. And I'm thinking I'm going to die. And then because of how crazy Eric drives, we pull up on these kids in front of the California pizza kitchen next to the hotel. And there's this kid by the name of Sean Corey Carter who's standing out there with his group original flavor. I jump out the, the Pathfinder and they start reaching on, yo, it's not that type of party. My man, your demo is sick. This was Jay-Z. I didn't know him like that. So the time, that's what I'm trying to tell you. San Francisco was so, a magical where, where, place. Where, where, was it, where, where was Eric at the time? Was he at Atlantic? No, he was at uh, Jive. He's still at Jive. This is like the the Barry Weiss, Jeff Finster, Jeff Sledge, those guys who were there. So this uh, was, back then. was it, so this was after DOS Effects or before DOS Effects was Atlantic. So no, this is before DOS Effects. This is way before DOS Effects. Okay. So but, well, you know what? DOS Effects was what, 9293? Yeah. But we had the Nas but demo was 9394. So it's my biggest account. Really? Yeah. Manny so, Bella was head of promotion. Right. Oh, you know, I mean, you know, I was working for SRC. Shout out to Fade. I don't know if you saw the thing that Jason Staten, Kelly Wu, and I did. No. We actually did a podcast based on RZA giving the shouts out the end of Wu-Tang Clan and Not the Fuck yeah. With, with the two, three guys and kind of telling that story of how that all came together. So it's hilarious that these names are on a song. They're getting shouts out. Got together and said, peace to Kelly Wu from the Gavin, Will Strickland, Jason Staten. True, true. We got together and talked about how that happened. I got to send you a copy. Jason Staten did it on his his podcast. But I just I, I said to him one day, like you saw Kelly down there in Atlanta. We should get together and do a podcast and kind of talk about that story and how it came oh, together. Kelly lives in Atlanta. No, Kelly is doing his. He's in L.A. But Kelly does. He's with this marketing company that they do a lot of stuff in Atlanta, a lot of film premieres and stuff like that. It was good to see, and I, had, I hadn't seen him in a long time, just like I hadn't seen you. But it's crazy to think about when we met 
in you know the SRC days, and I remember the first actually. And was he signed to them or signed to you directly? Twisted or Tongue Twister? Twister was signed to us. Yeah, I remember having Tongue Twister as the first loud record yeah. that I ever promoted, and it was somebody. What's the other group? There's another group. I'm trying to remember. It wasn't Yak Fruit Front. Was like Mercury. That was Sincere what? Thompson. Those guys. On it was loud? another group. There was another group on Loud. Yeah, it was another Mad, group that Madcap. Madcap. Trying to remember the single cover. I could see yeah. it in my head right now. So just some of those early days and remembering talking to you. I don't know how I got the account. I guess it was I was a guy in Texas and they knew that and, and we just connected though. It was basketball that connected. So it's us. definitely basketball. So that's I mean, what you played it Always. right, right? Played it right. It's the Harvard of the South, as they call it. So <laughs> You know who I, I found out could hoop and I didn't know could hoop? And I think there's more in Atlantic City than it was in San Francisco. Brian McKnight. Brian could hoop. Okay. Yeah, Brian's like 6'5", so he could hoop. And there was a time we used to play at this place we used to call the House of Pain in New York City. It was like 20th and 9th. It's a seminary, 20th and 9th. They had this old rectory gym for the church. You know, it had the overhang yeah. track and everything. So you couldn't shoot jumpers on the baseline. And Dave Mays from The Source, I think he was renting it out. This was when Dave was driving a Jetta, a red Jetta, back when Jettas were dope cars, yeah. <laughs> you know, in New York especially. We played in there, and I remember this guy by the name of Calvin Broaddus who showed up to play. And it wasn't for varicose veins. I don't know if this dude would have had legs at all. Snoop was so skinny, but he was hooping. Chris really? Wilder, it was a good time. I remember those days. I, I feel like you played there one time. No, I don't know so why. I, I had a game on Saturdays on 57th Street at some high mm. school. Dave played. Scott Free played. Shout out to Scott. Rob Stone played. They were really intense games. I could imagine. I mean, we had some good games across the city. And the fact that even though we met in basketball, our business was in music. And to go from SRC and like, I can't even name the amount of accounts at one time that SRC oversaw in the music industry. I think we had everybody. Practically all of them. Practically. I know my lineup was pretty heavy. It led to you guys. We were starting it loud. What was the decision behind going from SRC? Because I remember this notice from the city of New York. They were going to fine us $125,000 for hosting illegally because we had gotten so ridiculous with some of the, like the street promotion stuff. And that was really where the street promotions game started with SRC before you turned into loud. So what was the, what was the thinking behind that? So there really wasn't thinking. It was more of a, um, I didn't want to start loud. Mm. I, I was good. You know, I was making six figures, had a little bit of an overhead. I would be done at three o'clock. I was on the West Coast. I would go to the park and play ball, come back to the office. Me and Fade would send out the reports and then have dinner. Right. I come to New York for a wedding, my cousin's wedding. And then I stayed the week and I run into this agent, a guy by the name of Jerry Aid, who had this talent agency called Famous, which was at mm -hmm. the time the premier hip hop agency. He said, you need to have your own label. It's crazy. I said, nah, I'm good. He goes, well, just you should meet this attorney. I'm like, I know he's my dad's attorney. Right. He goes, just go meet him. So his office was also on 57th Street. Jerry's office was on 55th Street. And I, I went to the office. I was like, Paul, I've known you since I'm a baby. It's like, I'm good. Like, I don't need a label. Right. And I'm staying at Rich Isaacson's house or apartment. And the phone rings. And I answer the phone. And it's my father. It's like 8 o'clock at night. Now, he lives in Long Island. He goes, get on a train and come see me. So I'm thinking that he's telling me that he's going to jail or that. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't it, like the shit that, like, you know, every time I said goodbye to my father, I didn't know if I was ever going to see him again. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that was, he had a, 
he had a tough ass fucking crew and just that people. was the business yeah so i'm like is everything all right he said yeah man but he was angry so mm-hmm. i was like all right what and i'm trying to think I've been on good behavior. I mean, I haven't gotten arrested in a while. Like, you know, I'm thinking maybe something came. Is it in a while? <laughs> no, it's been, you know because I changed my life around. But I'm thinking something might have came up. I don't know what the fuck it was. Right. So, I have to jump on the fucking train. I don't get to my father's house until like say 10:30 at night, mm-hmm. and the motherfucker doesn't even pick me up at the train station. He makes me take a cab. Thank God it was summer. Right. From the train station to the house, and he's sitting on the couch smoking a joint, and he goes, um. I always knew you were fucking crazy, but he goes, this one really takes the fucking cake. And he's pissed. I'm like, what, what did I do now, dad? Like now I'm getting pissed. Like I thought he was going to say something like from like five years ago that I robbed somebody in the cake, you know, like, I don't mm. know what, what the fuck he was going to say. Mm. And he goes, you had a meeting with Paul Marshall and he said he can get you a record label. And you said, you don't want it. Mm. Let me explain something to you. You fucking idiot. This is what, this is how he's talking to me. And I'm like, this is why I'm here because I said I didn't want a label. I go, well, you could have told me this over the phone. He goes, no, I need you to hear me. Mm-hmm. And now I'm pissed. I'm ready to get the fuck out of the house and just go back into the city. It was like summer out, the city rocking. And right. he's like, let me explain something. He goes, you're only as good as your last contract. I go, what do you mean? He goes, how much money are you making? I said, I'm making six figures. Okay, so what happens if MCA fires you? Mm-hmm. You're only as good as your last record. So... I go, if you have a record company, you can't get fired. You'll make money while you're sleeping. You know, it's a corny saying, but, and I was like, what do you mean? He goes, record sales, you know, and catalog. And it's something I was like, you know what? This fucking asshole, right? You know, the way he treated me, you know, he goes, so I'm calling Paul right now. I told him you were coming here. I go, it's 11 o'clock at night. He goes, yeah, he's waiting for the call. And they make an appointment to, um, for tomorrow at 2.30 in the afternoon. I said, all right, cool. I'm like, now you're staying here. I don't trust you that you're not going to go see it. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, I'm bumfuck Long Island. I want to be in the city. It's, you know? Right. He's like, nah. So we drive into the city. He goes, I can get you this label through BMG. Mm-hmm. BMG starting this new label called Zoo. At first, he goes, no, Irving Azov just started a label called Giant. Right. So, um, and I think they had, um, fucker, they had the soundtrack to um, Wesley's movie, The Crack. Forget the yeah, name. New Jack City. New Jack City. Right. Right. So I go to Fade. I go, it looks like we're going to go with Irving Azov. He has started a label called Giant. He goes, all right, we're going to call it Loud. It's almost like Hank Shopee had a label called Soul. So, and Loud's going to stand for this. So I was like, all right, cool. So Irving pulled out at the last second, and we ended up at BMG. And mm-hmm. that's how Loud was formed. Was that the, the Strauss Zeldnik? No, that was way before. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. So, I mean, when I look, and I think what a lot of people see the Wu-Tang saga on, on Hulu or whatever the case might be, obviously you have to truncate some of the stuff for the sake of television yeah. and yeah. like t- trying to tell the story and move the story along, whatever the case might be. But to have this situation at BMG and then sign your first artist who was? Twister. Right? What made you sign at the time? He was still punk Twister out of Chicago. What made you go find some guy out of Chicago to start your label? I wasn't an A&R guy. Right. So we just, we just had a label and Eric the Wiz was on GCI and I think he had a conversation with Fade. He goes, I got something and just... And so it would stand to reason that Fade was your ear to the street, the guy you trusted that could bring you what you needed. Exactly. Okay. Well, I know he's somewhere in Bogota, Colombia right now. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shout out to Fade, my man. 
And so the same thing with some of the other groups. Like, did he also recruit other A&Rs into the label? No. So what happened was I brought in Rich because at the end of the day, we needed somebody to organize everything. Mm. So Faye got a little upset with that. And then um, we were on retainer with Interscope at the time. And I guess, you know, Fade must have had a conversation with Jimmy and just saying how unhappy he, that he's unhappy. This that he went from number two to number three, which he didn't. There was like two A and two B, you know, right. just like, like at the end of the day, doing separate things. Right. And, I mean, I think I was paying him like $70,000 a year, which was a lot of money for me, mm. you know, and then I think in the scope of him like two twenty five. I mean, that's hard to beat. It's hard to beat, but he had 10% a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, either you played a long game or you don't, you know, so but true I, enough. But listen, you know, he um if it wasn't for him, he you know, granted, you know, you had Dre, you had Shug, you know, but he put that whole department together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you there, you got rich organizing things and making sure that people got paid, that accounts were, were received yeah. and payables and all this stuff, and you start signing artists, you got tongue twister, you got mad cap. And then um, I, so I, I brought in Madcap, Fade brought in the Wicks. Right. Shouts out to J. Rowe, Tash, yeah. and East Swift and of then, the Alcoholics. Jason Staten sent Wu Tang to Trevor Williams. Mm -hmm. And then the rest is fucking history. Yes, it is. And there are some videos that are running around the internet right now where, you know, I brought Riza up to Canada to kind of talk about how we connected and how that whole the, the shout out thing happened. You have to see the video. I'm going to send it to you even if you just see that first clip and just the conversation that happened because when he was signed to tommy boy that's when we met he was prince Rakim. yeah when albert ragusa sent him to houston he's like yo is this playing on the radio i'm like dude if jesus christ was spinning this bitch, it wouldn't get no burn right it was that bad for houston it was just it was not something that houston want to rock with but being who i was i guess at the time what i was doing able to get him a show and he was managed by remember Mel Kwan and Shabazz? I think he was yeah because that dad, yeah yeah so they came down and being a rookie of sorts the place where I got them to perform or got him to perform they gave me the money up front let's put I'll put it like that those guys didn't deal in checks okay and they felt like because of all the media that I was doing on their television shows and radio shows that I'd be able to put people in the club and they would be able to recoup their money. Because if they did, not with me telling you this story right now. Let's just put it like that. And um, before they ever performed, I gave Rizzo the money. They could have gotten a plane and just left. Rizzo looks in the bag. He looks at Melquan. He looks in the bag. He looks at me. He looks in the bag. He pulls out $500. He's handed it to me. I said, I can't take that. He goes, you have to. I can't even get this much for a show in New York. Respect due. And that's how we connected. Didn't know me from anybody. But how much is in the bag? It's a nice little chunk. It wasn't bad. He did one song. But He'll they gave you he did one bucks. So what, 3500 bucks? Yeah. Very good with the math, see? You're, did, did I tell you this story before? No, I, I just know how Rizzo thinks. Yeah, it was like $3,500, right? And he did one song. We made the song last for seven minutes. And we go back into the green room, which is really just a broom closet yeah. with a light in it. And he starts telling me about this group that he has called All In Together Now. There's a Dick Them Down crew first, and then there's All In Together Now, and they had guys in the group, and his cousin was a dancer, blessed dead to Russell Tyrone Jones, better known as Old Dirty Bastard, and goes, but Tommy Boy was like, yeah, we don't want to hear Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five on the mic. 
he's trying to figure out a way to make this happen. And it's funny because we exchanged stuff and he gave me this stat that I still have, the original stat, okay? Like a year and a half later, I get a box. I think it's from Mike McDonald who sent it or one of the two with their Wu-Tang record 12-inch. I thought, what is this Fushnik and shit? And I had Chip Fu on not too long ago and I had to apologize to them because I definitely disrespected them. I'm like, I'm about to Frisbee it until I saw the name at the bottom of the label. For more information, call Prince Rakim, something, something, Morningstar Drive, Staten Island, New York. I'm like, this is not the same guy. On a whim, I call him and we start talking and he's like, I'm trying to make sure we can get our voice out. What, what can we do? You know, I'm out here doing it on my own. And we get on a phone call with Kelly Wu. I said, well, I can talk to somebody at the trades. I was really close with those guys over at Gavin and called Kelly and we we're on the phone for another two and a half hours. Next thing you know, they do this interview with them. And it's moving around. It was, a little, it, it was different. So we all came together to talk about how we were involved in the situation. And, you know, for Riz to remember that, that every time he tells the origin story of Wu-Tang, he brings up Greg and he brings up myself. He has no obligation to do that 30 years later, but he does. And that tells me a lot about our relationship. It tells me a lot about how he treated me when he didn't know me and handed me 500 bucks too. Mm-hmm. So what was it like when you finally signed those guys and you had to deal with RZA and Divine and those guys from Wu-Tang? I only really had to, I only dealt with RZA. Right. Divine was away still. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. It was just RZA. RZA, I decided to come to New York. What happened was, I think it was, I don't know if it was an Outcast album. Outcast album, when did that come? It came out in 93 too, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a, a, the Players Ball single. I remember the Players Ball single. Um, and then they put it out again in the new year, too. So there was an outcast party in New York. Mm. And I, I don't know who was DJing, but the MET HOD Man record came on. Right. And everybody just went fucking crazy. And I decided that I was going to stay in New York for the summer. Mm. So there was a friend that I went to high school with. Rich was living in L.A. now, so I really didn't. I wasn't going to stay at my parents' place. She, right. She was divorced and the kids were away for the summer. Right. I said, yo, um, do you mind if I um, crash at your place for the summer? I mean, I'll, I'll pay you, you know, I'll give you some money. She goes, no, you don't have You're to give good. me money. You're good. So we ended up having a thing anyway. It was weird. So I would drive into the city. Then, you know, I felt like a married man. It was funny. I would drive into <laughs> the city, come home, or come to her house. Right? I'm home, yeah. honey. Yeah, she would have dinner for me. It was comfortable. Yeah, it was cool. And the record was breaking. Right. I decided, you know what, we're going to get a place here. Mm-hmm. So um, I told Rich, like, we're going to get an apartment in New York and RCA has to give us an office in New York. Mm-hmm. That's really, and the record fucking broke. I remember just, every, I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And remember the new music mm-hmm. seminar? Mm-hmm. So Clark Kent, I call up Clark. I was like, yo, let's do something big. He was already got the club. And then we headlined the show. Right. And. A lot of people from RCA came. It was the first time Rich seeing them live. Mm. Again, it was just like it was over. It was over. But right. Actually, we also had with us Philly Knight's son Travis. Do you remember? Right. Philly. Because you signed. Didn't you sign him too? No, I remember. Him. No, we were promoting him. They hired so, us to promote him. He was signed to MCA. Right, and I remember you sending me that record. Hank shot. And I was me. like, "Come on, man." I mean, if it wasn't for the little contract I had with Nike for like some footwear and stuff, and we were doing the thing with Bobito and uh, NYC '96 and all that. But this was, this is wait, this is still '92, '93. I know. I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm thinking about like. Let me ask you a question: When we had to bring everybody up to Nike, were you part of that? 
I'm trying to remember. This is in Beaverton, so that part I don't remember. I don't know if I was there for that. We brought I was probably still in school. And we wore Nike at the race, so no, it wouldn't so have been a conference. This was, Wu came out in November 9, 1993. Right. We, we went to Nike December of 1993. Where were you in 1993? You had to go. I every, had to have been. I had to have been every, there. This every, was, was this the Helly Hansen jacket days, too? No. Well, that was that no. was after. That was 94. This was yeah, that was after. So, yeah, I think I was there, but I'm trying to remember being on campus. I'm trying to remember. I've been out there a couple of times. So. You guys were there for three days. I, I didn't go. Mm, it was a good deal. Huh? It was a good deal, no? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, to be Phil Knight's special consultant was. It, it's lucrative. But you start this legendary label, and I just saw you on the BT Hip Hop Awards with Rotan Joseph. That's what I like to call them when I see them. <laughs> they gave you your flowers, man. I mean, if you think about all the groups that came through there, from the beginning to the guys who came on later on, all the people who worked there, who were affiliated with that label, when you talk about the labels that made the golden era of rap music and hip-hop culture, Loud is in that mix. It's not just the Def Jams of the world. It's Loud is right in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, yeah, I love that they gave me my flowers, but, you know, we didn't have Exhibit. We didn't have the licks. On the, um, mm. the Beat Nuts, even though we adopted them, Flex didn't show. Mm. But, I mean, it was. Was that just a scheduling thing or? I, I don't know. That, mm. I don't well, know. whatever the case was, I thought that the tribute was great. Mm -hmm. And I know you're not necessarily the biggest public speaker in the world either. I thought I did okay, though. You did great. That's what I'm saying. For, for someone who I know is not a great, you're like, that's not my thing. I thought you did great. I wasn't even going to go. So the night before. Magic from Magic City throws me a party, mm. and um, my son. I'm with my. I'm with both my sons, mm. like and then like my adopted son too, right? So, and then one of my son's partners comes up to me. He goes, "Yo, Alice needs to talk to you." I'm like, "Bring him over here because Magic gave my youngest son like five grand in singles, and like I just, <laughs> and and the girl I just started dating. I'm like, she's watching over him to make sure that mm. you know." I'm like, bringing his out. He needs to talk to you outside. So I'm like, if somebody is trying, like, again, it's like, I'm going back to, like, some other shit. Like, did he find some shit out about the girl I'm dating? Did somebody try and rob mm. him? Like, why is it outside? And why is security coming with us? Mm. Right? So, and they told me my dog died. And I have three pits, but this one was, like, was me. I see you posting about him all the time. Yeah. And um, I just fucking... I never experienced pain. Like when I lost my dad, it was painful, but mm. I just got out of hospital with my heart attack. So I was heavily medicated. Mm. And so, we're going to talk about that for sure. I would definitely want to yeah. talk about that. So with all that, I was just, when I woke up the next day, you know, I don't drink, right? Mm. My head was pounding. I didn't sleep. I cried all fucking night. My head was pounding. My stomach was, I was like, I'm not going to the show. Yeah. That's what loss will do to you, man. And then, I ate something, I meditated, and I'm convinced the reason why he died the night before was so I could focus on the show. Right. So you found some victory in the loss then? Well, I mean, it was the most, I mean, to, I mean, it's two months later, three months later. The awards were October 4th, right? So what are we, December 4th or December Yeah. 5th? No, and when I say victory, you know, that was the thing that put the battery in your back to say, look, go get your flowers. Right. Yeah, I mean, I went. I jumped in the bath, and I meditated, mm. and I was just like, 
give me strength to like just figure out how to fucking do this. Mm. Mm. And then Joe sent me like the most incredible text. He goes, I got you. Like, don't worry about a fucking thing. You're my brother. I got you. Like, boom, 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 boom. Mm. That's dope. And I think he, Joe even talks about that a lot in some of what he does, you know, to, just talking about like how he looked out and how he weren't really. I think you said some stuff too in, in some of your feeds on social media talking about how Joe was really there for you in that moment. At the end of the day, that week itself was a hard week. Everybody had to fly in. They're not getting paid. Yeah, the expenses are being paid. Nobody's getting paid for this. Mm. Right? You know, so everybody had to fly in and they had to rehearse. They came to rehearsals. There was no bitching. Everybody showed up on time. I mean, I wish this was 30 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) You know what maturity does. You know what maturity does. In conversation with the legendary Steve Rifkin of SRC Loud Records here on the open run with Will Strickland. Yeah, I I would say that 30 years of reflection and growth. You know, and then like me and Joe, we had dinner every night. And like Mm. I said, we we really became, we were family before this, but Mm. for the rest of my life now, the way he held me down like that, Mm. I mean, he has, I could be a, the other side of the world, if he said, get on a plane, I'm, I'm there. No doubt. No doubt. Well, we want to continue this conversation on the other side of this, on the open run with Will Strickland. You're now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic to the speaker in conversation with the legendary Steve Rifkin of SRC Loud Records. Man, you've done so much in this industry and work with so many people, but there are some stories, and I think we talked about this when we reconnected, when you saw the thing on Instagram, the time that when we had Wu-Tang down in Houston, and when you hear Raekwon tell the story about the one time they ever got sunned in the history of groups getting sunned in the road, it was Houston. He always brings up Houston because they were booked, and at the time, were they booked by Famous? I think it was... Was it famous that was working? I, I don't know who I don't remember to be honest with you. I think it was Erskine Isaac, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. And um they put them at the Rap a Lot Club, the North Side Club, which if you didn't play Rap a Lot, they wouldn't hear that shit at all. Mm-hmm. But we have to go. We're booked. So we pull up, you get on the stage, and you see all the guys, arms, you know, arms crossed. They had that fresh out of prison smell, like they were ready to rock, right? Rizza comes out with a big Nebuchadnezzar of, of Moet in his hand. He's Walk around stage like, what's up, Houston? What's up? And we come out to Wu-Tang Clan, nothing to fuck with. It's just like, woo, it's just the instrumental, right? And Riz is talking to the crowd, and they, they lower the, the, the music. He goes, what's up, Houston? Y'all don't have no love for Wu-Tang? Dude says, hey, man, hey, man, hand me the mic. So Riz puts the mic out in the crowd. Guy goes, hey, man, why don't y'all take that bitch-ass shit back to New York and sprays him with some Budweiser? Riz is like, oh, man, for real? Oh, man, he's spinning around and he's shaking up the Moet. He spins around, he sprays that whole front row, and he throws the bottle, and we are running back. <laughs> we are gone. These guys are chasing us up on the freeway, shooting, throwing rocks, bottles, whatever. It was crazy. And then I had to go back the next day because I guess from promo appearance, they got paid for it. I had to go get the money. Like Mookie from Do the Right Thing. When he had to go see South, they burned out the pizzeria. So I had to go with some goons to make sure I didn't die to go pick up the money. So what was your relationship with the rap a lot? It was great. I used to work with Jay. Yeah. I used to work with Mel Smith, you know, and 
he had them people on him too. I remember being in Wendy's at times and they would come over and try to ask questions. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I went to Jay. I'm like, yo, if people saw me at Wendy's, I just wanted to let you know and get in front of that. He goes, I appreciate you letting me know. It was like that. So having the experience of working on all these labels, whether it be as an independent contractor myself through my company, Urban Art, or whether I was working in the summers, like with Apple Lab in those days, I had Willie D on my old podcast when I was uh, doing All Balls Don't Bounce. And Willie's hilarious. Still trying to get Brad on the show too. But, you know, those days were different. And also what happened in Houston, I told you about this, that you screamed on me real hard one time. You don't remember it, but I'm trying to remind you that Meth, I guess, you know, Meth's like 6'3", 6'4". And there was a, a hoop in the loading dock. And everybody wanted to challenge me because they knew I played ball. So it's like, let's have a dunk contest. It was $50 a dunk. Well, I walked out with $350 uh, that day because it wasn't a contest. And Meth sprained his left wrist. And when we had to take him to the hospital to make sure he was good, you were mad at me. I'm like, yo, calm the fuck down. He can use the microphone with his right hand. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It wasn't like it was a knee or something. He couldn't, he couldn't perform tonight because his wrist was sprained. So... I just, I just remember that vividly, man. And I, I have so many great memories of you. And I love that, you know, through everything that's been going on, I said this earlier, life sits you down sometimes. And you were living a certain way and, you know, you're not really paying attention to your health. And then your health said, yo, I need to talk to you real quick. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, we could definitely. I mean, Because it's, insp it's inspirational to me what you're doing. Like I said, you just got to yeah, work out. You look but, great. Um, so, the, the, right. If you remember, like when we first met, I was skinny. I, You're I, a little dude. I, I mean, I was like 150, 120 pounds. Right. Right. So what happened was I never believed in doctors in in those days. It was just like mm. you go to a doctor and they're gonna tell you some bad news about you. Right. Right. So I was like, nah, fuck that. Like, like going to a mechanic. You can have a brand new car. They'll find something wrong with it. Yeah. So I'm like, nah, I'm not going to a doctor. So I sell loud to Sony, mm. and I started having panic attacks. Mm. So I go to a shrink. They say, you're having panic attacks and anxiety attacks. We're going to give you some medicine. I started gaining weight. Because it was like a steroid or something? It wasn't a steroid. It was just like it made you hungry. Like it made you loopy. Mm. So that's when I started gaining all the weight. And then, mm. you know, one dinner would turn into two dinners. And then, you mm. know, I never drank, thank God. But next thing you know, like 20 years later, I'm fucking 240 pounds. And I never went to a doctor. I never did this. Mm. It's Christmas Eve, and I have a fucking heart attack at my ex-wife's house. Christmas basketball. Eve, what year? What year? 2013 will be nine years in a few weeks. That's crazy. And you were playing basketball when it happened. Yeah. Did you ever, and I don't know but if this I, I sounds macabre when I say this. I didn't go down. I had pain in my back, and I couldn't breathe. And I okay. went to my ex-wife. I was like, man, something's wrong. She was just taking a shower, go to sleep. Mm. I called 911, take a Xanax, take a shower. And by the time I got at it, and I was having such shooting pain down my arm, I knew... I was having something. Right. Um, they came and said, we got to take you in immediately. And mm -hmm. I died three times. That's crazy. Do you recall the first thing you thought when you woke up? So they nebulized me or whatever, mm -hmm. the, that tube or whatever. And intubated you. Yeah. Yeah. I ripped it out. Mm -hmm. And I screwed up my larynx. Mm -hmm. And So I, you're like, I'm trying to get up out of here? Like, can I go home now? They're like, can you go home? Like, what the right. So the first thing you wanted to do was just go home. And then when I re when I realized what I had, I said, "Find me a priest or a rabbi, somebody mm. that's closer to God than I am." Mm. 
and just it was Christmas Eve. There was nobody to be found. Mm. You thought it was done. I was in ICU. Yeah. Mm. So what what do you think when you think about family? When you think about your lady? When you think about your godson? If I'm not mistaken, is is it Brandon Boston your your godson? Not my godson, but he's. I mean, he's. I call him my nephew. So people who don't know, Brandon Boston is a guard forward on the Los Angeles Clippers, young man who went to the University of Kentucky. Yeah. You're laying there. What do you think pulled you through, though? Like, what, what was that they said, I got to get up? With a heart attack? Yeah. I wasn't ready to go, man. Mm. Like, Still got chapters to write. Yeah. I mean, I just started a new company. Me and Russell, just we were going to start ADD. Uh, All mm. Depth Digital was the YouTube company. Yeah. My kids were young. I wanted to see my son was going into his senior year, or he was a senior. Mm. And you know what a basketball junkie I am, and he played college ball. So it's just right. like I wanted to see his senior year. Right. So, I mean, I just wasn't ready to go. Yeah. And I told you, like, this is this is not gas because I told you when we weren't on camera that how inspirational that was for me to see you, like, kind of say, wait. You see so many of our contemporaries passing on from health problems. Like, I remember getting sick. When I was at Epic doing the Ghostface project, I wasn't drinking enough water and I wasn't eating right. And I remember walking into my office and telling my assistant, I'm not here. Don't I don't care who comes to the door, Ray, whoever, Ron Sweeney, I don't care who comes to the door, I'm not here. And I'm walking in the office and I start falling. I'm inside my body going, yo, my dude, why are you tripping? Get up off the floor. And I couldn't. I was so dehydrated and so messed up. They had to come and get me with a stretcher at Sony with like IVs in my legs and arms. It was that bad. I didn't realize. I'm like, yo. So, you know, I haven't eaten meat. I mean, I still eat fish on occasion, right? But I haven't eaten meat since like 2013 when I had an incident then. Trying to make sure that I work toward being better because I want to be here. I want to see my son who just had a birthday. I want to see him have kids, hopefully, if that's his design. See a grandchild. You know, be able to give something to, to something way beyond me outside of my son. Maybe that's the selfish thing, but it's worth living, you know, and I, I want to yeah. see those things. I want to see some other stuff. And when you start to realize that you have more past and future, like how many summers do you think we got left? Man, it's funny. So I got a young girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just looking at your face. You know, you know. Nah, like, like I, we have these real conversations. It's like, mm. is this a waste of time, mm. or like, could this be something? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm saying I got 30 years, right? I'm, mm. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm good at 90, right? And I think I can make it the way I'm taking care of myself. You know, unless you get hit by a car, something like that. You know, I can, right, right. You're on the path of making 90, right? So that's where I'm at. So I said you'll be 60. I said you'll have a good. I said. I said, you can go two ways. You can go younger or you can go older. <laughs> you, what did you tell her? She can hit the seats of the streets. What are you doing? <laughs> go younger. Like, just make sure that whoever you go with, they don't take, you know, the money. Yeah. Well, I know one way or the other. If you're content and she's content and you're working on new projects, I'm happy for you, man. It's so yeah. good to see your face. So good to see you in good health. I need to get and step my resume up. I got to come to you. I got to see you. We got to go to a game. I'll, you know. Look, whatever we need to do, we'll reconnect for sure in person, whether it's LA, New York, Toronto, no, whatever. No, I, I love Toronto. I, I didn't know that you were there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, you know what? When we get over here, we're going to talk about it yes. later on because you you got an appointment. I get it. Um, we're going to wrap this up in a minute. But tell me a little bit about like your basketball Jones right now. What's the team you're following? When you grew up, when you were growing up, were you a Knicks fan? So I, ABA fan, maybe the Nets. So I grew up in Long Island. Right. Right. So part of the reason why I asked you about the Nets. Ten minutes away from the Nassau Coliseum. Right. I would get out of my house and just hang out in the parking lot and wait for Doctor J. Right. To come to his car. Um, so I was an ABA, I was a Nets fan, but I was also a Knicks fan because Earl mm. Monroe worked for my dad. Right. Right. So then the year the the four teams from the ABA, you know, seventy six, yeah. yeah, the merger, the merger, right? The Nets get Tiny Atribal. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's gonna be Tiny and Doctor J, and then all of a sudden, I don't understand. Like I'm, he's going to the Sixes, and I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Like. They couldn't afford to keep them. I didn't. They. I didn't know that. I mean, who the fuck knew? I didn't know anything about business. I mean, who is right. <laughs> I was always a Knicks fan, and I was always a Nets fan. So mm. it's like if they ever played each other. As I got older, it was really always who I knew on the team. All right. So how do you feel about those two teams now in New York? I don't know anybody. It's fucking. <laughs> so you don't know Kyrie. I no. I can't stand the coach. Who are you talking about? The Knicks coach. Oh, Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I think he's brilliant. I just don't think he knows. I don't. I don't think he gets the best out of his players. Well, it's funny that we're talking about this now because I talked about it on the podcast last week. That they have to figure out what they're doing. They're so the kids use the word mid. You know, if you remember Gil Scott Heron, yeah. he had this thing called Oatmeal Man. It was a dude that did just enough to keep his job but not enough to lose it. That's what the Knicks feel like. They're in New York, so they're not going anywhere, but they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? There's no Knicks tape. There's no bing bong. There's none of that this year. Yeah, nah. So I'm just like, and then with the Nets, KD, I mean, we're, we know each other. I'm not, I can't say, well, you know, his agent or his partner, Rich, is a good friend. Yeah, yeah. So, and Kyrie, you know, I met the guy two or three times, you know, but at the end of the day, like, whatever, like, I wasn't really paying attention to what, what was happening with him, but I was like, you know what? I'm Jewish. But mm. I went after the Jewish community. Stop being a fucking bully. Like, mm. this guy's an athlete. Like, when he probably saw the movie, he was probably watching with one eye open and one eye closed. Like, you know, mm. the, you know, it's like he made a mistake and that's it. Move on. Like, don't cancel him. Did you feel like he was trying to do something intentional or was it like his no, real I, curiosity? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think it was harmless. I'm just asking what you what you feel. Not necessarily. I really, I, I really thought it was what, what he tried to do was he just people just do things for like not realizing what this fucking movie, like, where did he watch the movie? Was it on the plane? Was he half fucking asleep? You know, it's mm. like, nobody knows all these things, mm. right? So he's like, he could have missed the whole part that everybody's talking about. Who the fuck knows? Right. And I was like, you know what? You talk about us as in Jews being the fucking victim. Look mm. what the fuck you're doing right now. You're ruining somebody's fucking life. Mm. Right? I saw when you were talking about being more empathetic, that stop kicking people when they're down necessarily and just... Down. Yeah, like everybody needs a fucking hug. Mm. Mm. Well, the whole Kyrie situation is, and it's funny. We were talking about Phil Knight and Travis Knight earlier. That they they now severed their relationship. Listen, I I wish I knew him. Where I would call him right now was I have the guy that would literally make his sneaker. I have the number one sneaker maker in the world. Does all of Nike shit, all of Adidas shit, everything else like that. And I'm like. We're going to make a sneaker then, and we're going to talk about my tournament. You know the tournament that I do with Bobito, right? No. 
we do a global tournament called Full Court 21. You know what 21 is. Black we guy. play at full court it's with 21. referees. We play full court 21 with referees. Oh, so it's a ones and twos and twos and threes. Yeah, it's everything. If you if your court has a three-point arc, so it's threes, twos, and ones, right? When you score a field goal, you get up to three, three a move, like we do in New York, three a move, and you get the ball back. It's a 15-minute runtime game, seven minute and 30 seconds first half, two-minute halftime, seven minute and 30 seconds second half. We have two referees, and you only get 3,000 a game. Normally, when you play 21, it's foul and discriminate until the fight starts. You know how that works. But we democratize it, and we're in almost 40 cities on four continents around the world. The MBPA is a partner. So shouts out to Dan and Kiki and Chris and all those guys over there as well. All right, I got to come see you. You got to really tell me everything you're doing because now I'll, you're putting Listen, that's why I said this is just – this is for them. This, this what we do – this is for right. them. What after, we do – After the new year. You already know. Yeah. You already know. I'm going to end with this. Like I said, I'm so proud to have met you and to have known you, and I'm glad we've reconnected. Before we get out of here, what are some of the projects you're working on now with these new chapters, this new lease on life? So I got – I'm, I'm going to start my own podcast. That's number mm -hmm. one. Number two is I, I started a label with my son. We took my dad's name, Spring. Right. And we got three artists. One's really starting to make some noise, and I think in 2023 he's going to fucking go. You know, it, it's not like a woo – you know, it's today's – my son is right. running, right? Right. But shit, a year ago, the kid had nothing. Now he has a half a million followers on TikTok and 200,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. So. Growth. And a, and a few million streams. Well, so, he has a, a good consigliere yeah. uh, so, sitting behind him. So, man, I appreciate you so I'm much. Sorry, can you let the people know where they can find you? Steve Rifkin, at Steve Rifkin, Twitter, Instagram. And that's really it. Really just. Okay. All right. No, I appreciate you, man. Right, man. And, uh, I love I'm you. looking forward to seeing right. you. I love you too, man. Okay, man. Later. Be safe. Peace. It is now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank my man, Steve Rifkin, for coming on and spreading love. It is the Strickland way. I'm looking forward to hanging out with him. I'm sure we're going to connect in Toronto and L.A. and New York or wherever else we go. So be on the lookout for that. But that being said, it is now time for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Wrestling Power shouts out to Paul Silas, the father of Houston Rockets head coach Steven Silas, who passed away at 79 this past weekend. He was a three-time NBA champion. I know I witnessed him playing for the Celtics when I was a little kid and also the 1979 NBA Finals with the Seattle Supersonics, if I'm not mistaken. It was the first NBA Finals that I watched and it was on tape delay at 11.35 after your late local news. Just a wee lad. But he was the first head coach of the hashtag he who shan't be named. And also my man, friend of the program, my brother Eddie Robinson, when he coached for the Charlotte Hornets and Eddie was a player there. So shouts out and rest in power. To Paul Silas. Get well soon shouts go to Atlanta Hawks play-by-play -play man Bob Rathburn who suffered a medical emergency live on air sitting next to the Hall of Famer Jacques Dominique Wilkins who had no idea what was going on. He just kept talking. People made jokes about Dominique still talking but he didn't know and Bob Rathburn who is recovering right now. Wow it was scary to watch. So get well soon, Bob. Also, get well soon to the only man to ever win an NCAA and NBA championship as a head coach, Larry Brown. 
Happy Feet, stepping down at the age of 82 as an assistant and special advisor to Anthony Penny Hardaway at the University of Memphis. He was the head coach last at SMU in Dallas, Texas, a man who's spent his lifetime as a teacher and a coach in this game, as well as a player in the ABA. Remember the ABA? Talked about it a little bit with Steve earlier. Is going to relax for the rest of his days on the planet. So best of luck in your next chapters, Coach Brown. Salute to Mick Cronin, my guy. I always say that Mick Cronin sounds like the little gangster from Bugs Bunny, the little one with the big hat. Ah, say, it's what we're gonna do. We're gonna rob you, say. Edgar G. Robinson. That's some old 1930s gangster stuff. But. They called out a special play in a game this past weekend for their fallen former teammate Jalen Hill, who passed away at the age of 22. They called out 24 out, which was Jalen's number. And it was a very special salute. His whole family was on hand. And you will be missed, young man. But shouts out to Mick Cronin and the University of California at Los Angeles for their consideration of this young person. Speaking to young people. 20 years after the original showdown between I Am Kayam, Carmelo Kayam Anthony at Oak Hill Academy in Virginia versus from St. Mary's St. Vincent High School in Akron, Ohio, the hashtag he who shan't be named, their children are meeting in a high school game that will be aired this Monday night, 1130 Eastern, between Christ the King High School of Kayam Anthony and Browning James with Sierra Canyon team. No matter the outcome, it's just dope that these kids get to live on and and create legacy in the shadows of their father's Hall of Fame careers. We'll see what's next for them. What's also next is Nike and the Hoop Summit, which has led to over 250 players going to the National Basketball Association, including two-time reigning defending most valuable player of the league, Nikola Jermaine Jokic. Shouts out to Roy Rana, who coached the world team to three or four straight victories as the head coach for the Nike Hoop Summit. Women will have their first game ever under the summit this April 8th, 2023. So salute to them and salute to the student-athletes. Can we call them that anymore with these name, image, and likeness deals that they're signing? Adidas just signed the one-arm wonder that is Hansel Emanuel from Northwestern State in Louisiana. Grady Dick, probably the worst name in basketball, but hey, he can hoop. From Kansas University, Trace Davis Jackson and Jalen Hood Shafino, both of Indiana University, and the dynamic point guard of the University of Louisville Cardinal, Haley Van Lith. Of course, all their schools actually wear Adidas as well. Emmanuel actually got his first two points as a college player with one arm. His story has been documented, well documented on these rough interweb streets. Now to see him achieving and living his dream of playing at the next level, whatever that is, wherever that is. Because when they say the next level, anytime someone pays you to play a game, you're a professional. Where he plays, whether it be the NBA, G League, overseas, whatever, he's living out his dream and he got a nasty dunk off a missed free throw. That was nice. So shout out to all those young people. And best of health to Tennessee Volunteers Tamari Key. She will be out for the season as they found blood clots in her lungs recently. Now, that's not anything to play with. Christopher Weston Bosch, formerly of the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors, had to retire from the game after being a multiple-time all-star, multiple-time NBA champion. So... You know, she's young. Hopefully they caught it in time and that she can possibly continue her basketball career later. But her health is most important. So get well soon. And the health of the top five is stable because the top five on the women's side stayed exactly the same as it was last week at number one, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks. Until somebody defeats them, the crown is there. 
Stanford, not moving. Ohio State, still there. Terry Marin's Indiana Hoosiers, still there. And shout out to Neil Ivey and the fifth-ranked Notre Dame Irish, who were led by National Player of the Year candidate Olivia Miles, who had a 13-13 and 13 triple-double the other night. Yikes. And a big win over a nameless school. I mean, they were supposed to beat these guys. I'm not even going to do that to them. But shouts out to Olivia Miles. Also, shouts out to Diamond Miller, someone who's getting name-checked by Kevin Durant for the dirt fade. She headed a game earlier this week as her 20th-ranked Maryland Terrapin team defeated the walking wounded number six ranked UConn Huskies. Tough times in stores with Gino Oriema and injuries. AZ Ford is out. Paige Beckers is out. So many players they need. Ice Brady is out. I love that name for the freshman, the star freshman on that squad. But they're still number six in the country. At least they were. After this defeat to the number 20 team, doubt it. Get well soon to that team as well. And on the men's side of things, Grinnell College, who had a young man who has the all-time single-game scoring record. I think his name was Jack something. I can't remember off the top. But Grinnell College played a game recently where they won 124-67 to 67 over a Bible college. Better tithe heavily after that smashing. In the game, Grinnell College did not shoot one two-point field goal. Every single shot they took, a 111 in total, were all from the three-point arc. That's disgusting and disrespectful. Is that where the game is? Somebody said the hashtag blame Steph. The three-pointer was around before Steph Curry was born. Stop it. What should be stopped as well is Chris Beard, according to some people. The University of Texas head coach was arrested early Monday morning and charged with felony domestic violence. I think I saw some about strangulation and detention and choking in the charge. And I'm like, yikes, at 418 in the morning, the police were called to his home. And they took him away. Of course, his lawyers are saying this is totally baseless. But damn, somebody's going to wake up in the middle of the night and make up charges like that. We will find out more and report on this later on the open run with Will Strickland. In some games of the week, I watched St. Mary's University go out and defeat San Diego State. St. Mary's is going to be a minor irritant to a lot of teams this season. They play tough. They play hard. They play together. They're always in that. They're in that same conference as Gonzaga. And maybe they're starting to go through that transition where they become one of those national powers that no one's looking out for. Just like Gonzaga grew into over the past 10, 12 years. Never know because they played Houston tough. They could have beat, at the time, a highly ranked University of Houston team. We'll get to them in a second. And the number 17 fighting a lion eye, University of Illinois, went on to defeat Chris Beer's then-ranked number three Texas team, then ends up losing to Penn State. Do rankings mean that much at this point in the season? Yeah, they do. These young guys, they see the numbers, they see themselves, and they fancy themselves better than what they are. And then they face a team that has nothing else to lose, like Penn State, and they get defeated. I love college basketball. It's like that. And the top five this week. What in the name of Gene Cady is this? After Purdue survives Nebraska, you know, the team that beat the then-ranked Creighton Blue Jays, they're now number one in the country as the number one team, the University of Houston Cougars. Grand opening, grand closing. Lost in number eight ranked Alabama Crimson Tide of Nate Oates. And so the whole top five has been jumping around just a bit at number one. The Purdue Boilermakers. Like I said, what in the name of Gene Cady is this? They've never been ranked that high ever. So this is their first time in the number one spot. Shout out to Matt Painter and this squad, Zach Eady. Nice, talented squad. We're going to see what they do in the Big Ten Conference play when it starts after the holiday break. At number two, 
the University of Virginia, who posthumously gave degrees to the three young men who were murdered on their campus not too long ago. The three student athletes who played football there were given their degrees, and the University of Virginia just trucking along at number two, Tony Bennett's squad out there in Charlottesville. At number three, Dan Hurley's UConn Huskies. They have a lot of talent. And I would not be surprised to see these guys somewhere near the, at least the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. But you never know. It's a long season. At number four, the Alabama Crimson Tide. No, this is not football. They are number four in the nation under Nate Oates after defeating the number one team in the country, the University of Houston Cougars, who are now dropped to number five in the country. Kelvin Sampson, those shooting woes, they're going to hurt you. And they hurt you in a home game. I thought it would hurt on the road, but Alabama came in. They played a lot like Houston, but they have better shooters and just as good athletes. So Nate Oates, Kelvin Sampson, great game, but shouts out to Alabama for the win. I never thought I would ever say shouts out to Alabama. Word to Latrell Sprewell, Robert Ory, Antonio McDice, and Demarcus Amir Cousins. I named a bunch of Alabama players. It's true. Anyway. On to the NBA, the National Basketball Association, where we have some injury news. DeJounte Deshaun Murray out for two weeks with a sprained ankle. Who knows what that team is going to look like in two weeks, including Nate Daniel, Nate McMillan, the head coach, and his troubles with Trey. Or maybe there aren't troubles, and it's just an internal situation that they're going to remedy sooner than later. We'll see. Get well soon, DeJounte. Also, get well soon, Obi Toppin, the high flyer from the New York Knickerbockers, out for two to three weeks with a right leg injury. They're talking about knee soreness in that right leg. And Colin Sexton helping the Utah Jazz to a record no one expected them to have at this point of the season, out for a couple of weeks with a hammy. The game of the week, and there were a couple of games of the week this week. But of course, the rematch of the 2022 NBA Final between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors was on tap. It was unfinished business for the Boston Celtics who were playing as the best team in the league, at least record-wise. But in this game, once again, Jason Tatum, much like he did in the final, struggled mightily, shooting 6 for 21, and Andrew Wiggins wasn't even in the game. He was not guarding him. But you had a triumvirate of players who made sure that didn't happen as the Splash Brothers and the pool party, the three-headed guard backcourt, I couldn't say it reminded me of the Pistons with Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, and Vinnie Johnson in the backcourt, all guards. But hey, running Jordan Poole with Clay and, and Steph is a dangerous combination because they can all create and they can all score and makes the job of Draymond Jamal Green Sr. much easier, who's also making the second unit look better because the beginning of the season for the Golden State Warriors was not great. Draymond Green was not re-signed to a deal, and neither has the GM, Bob Myers, the architect of this squad. Still unsigned in dealists in the Bay. That's going to be interesting to see how that turns out at the end of the season. But for this game, Draymond Green, a big catalyst, not only in the starting unit, but as they rotate guys out, in order to save their season, they had to decide that Draymond was a key to stabilizing that second unit. And you've seen the season turn around for the Golden State Warriors, who defeated the Boston Celtics and proved that they are still the team to beat. They're still the champs. Boston trying to blow it off is just one game. And it's true. But there's a psychological factor to going on the road and wanting to prove that you belong in the conversation with the Golden States of the world. And they didn't achieve that. And Jason Tatum, MVP candidate, did not show up when they needed him to. But who did show up, as I said, was Draymond Green who on a podcast called Throwing Bones spoke about why the hashtag is the greatest 
player in basketball history. Much to the chagrin of those who believe that St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington is the best player who ever did it. Of course, you can watch this podcast and see what Draymond has to say. It's all over the rough interweb streets. You can see this as well. And I guess in the counter to that, as he was named Sports Person of the Year by Sports Illustrated, Wardell Stephen Curry named his all-time starting five, starting with himself at the point, Irvin Magic Johnson at the hybrid two, Michael Jeffrey Jordan at the three, Dirk Werner Nowitzki at the four, and Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal at the five. There was no outrage other than, oh, you left someone off your list. Not the same level of outrage that Draymond faced, but you wonder why. And imagine if the hashtag had named his own starting five and put himself on that team. The blowback would be immediate. He doesn't know what he's talking about. By guys who couldn't score 20 points in a Nerf hoop in a room by themselves for three hours. It happens. From all-time starting fives to the power 10 in the NBA this week. At number one, still the Boston Celtics holding on mightily to that number one spot as Milwaukee gaining pace on them and right in that mix at number two. At number three, the hottest team in the National Basketball Association. Who knew that Brandon Ingram's injury would turn Zion Latif Williamson into the alpha everyone wanted him to be? Currently on a seven-game losing strike. They look good. I love them. And we'll be talking about them shortly as we talk about unspoken rules in the NBA. As we speak about unspoken rules in the NBA. At number four, the Memphis Grizzlies. Demetrius DeMel Morant, the second hottest team in the league, currently on a five-game losing strike. At number five, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who went a little swoon, but they're coming back. Donovan Mitchell being injured in and out of the lineup a little bit hurt them, but they are still in the mix. At number six, the Denver Nuggets, steady, slow, quietly staying there. And I don't think they want to get the best record in the league. They just want to be healthy going toward the playoffs. At number seven, welcome to the party, Brooklyn Nets. Trying to fulfill the promise of the preseason, Kevin Wayne Durant, Kyrie Andrew Irving, Benjamin David Simmons, Jacques Vaughn. I don't even know what Jacques Vaughn's middle name is, but he's doing a great job. So, At number seven, the Brooklyn Nets. At number eight, the Sacramento Kings. Mike Brown still leading the charge there. These young guys, still one of the top teams in scoring in the National Basketball Association. Will they play some defense? It's going to help them down the stretch. So, at number eight, the Sacramento Kings. At number nine, welcome to the party, Philadelphia 76ers. Joel Hans and B just dropped a 53-12 and 12 game, a 50-burger. On the Charlotte Hornets, there was no resistance. I bet you, Michael Jeffrey would never let that. Why don't you come out of retirement and stop him? Since his fans believe he can do anything. <laughs> I need to stop. I'm having a good time today. At number nine, the Philadelphia 76ers welcome to the party. And at number 10, currently on a four-game winning strike, the Phoenix Suns, who've been booed mercilessly, including a home-and-home -home series against their new rivals in the West, the New Orleans Pelicans, a.k.a. the Pelican Beef is what I'm calling it right now, between those two teams. As Zion, at the end of the defeat of the Suns, did a 360 windmill dunk to punctuate the victory. And I guess Chris Paul didn't take a liking to that. And they got into it a little bit, a little kerfuffle in the court. Played again the next night, and all you could hear in the Smoothie King Center was, Chris Paul sucks. Chris Paul played in New Orleans for years. He was an all-star there. Didn't matter. He's the enemy now, and I love that. Before we get out of here, December 15th has a very special meaning. 
It's the opening day for trades to be made in the National Basketball Association. It's also my nephew's born day. He will be sweet 16, so shouts out to him. And it'll mark the second year of existence for the open run with Will Strickland. There have been many times I wanted to stop doing this, and wondering if it meant anything to anyone other than myself. I found out it does, but again, when you strive for perfection, whatever that is, you always want to know that you're doing the best job you can. And I think just knowing that I'm able to put my voice into the metaverse, into the atmosphere that is sports, that is sports talk, that is commentary, and to have it mean something to someone, even if it's one person, is significant. I want to thank each and every one of you for going along for the ride and encouraging, dissing me, shouting me out, arguing, whatever the case might be, because your energy is necessary. And it will also be necessary next week and for many weeks after that, I hope. And with that being said, until then, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man, do what you do when you do it. One of the last times in 2022, sir. Easy. Okay, okay.